This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. There are many lessons that we've learned in 2020, including many in the world of marketing. When traditional means of advertising are flipped on their head, finding another method that works is paramount. Many different strategies were attempted, but one has risen above the rest, influencer marketing. In 2020, people are online so much. We're seeing the performance of our influencer campaigns continue to accelerate and increase in value. The concept of an influencer has really transitioned into the mainstream where, you know, you open the front page of the New York Times and you're like, there's going to be two or three articles that mention influencers or TikTok or Instagram. It's so pervasive in a way that I think was kind of sneaky for most people, but it's now so huge. That's May Karwowski, the founder and CEO of Obviously, which provides quality influencer marketing for the world's iconic brands. On this episode of Marketing Trends, May discusses some of the latest trends in influencer marketing. She talks about why it's key to understand the value a potential influencer can have on your brand. And she stresses that the number of followers a so-called influencer has does not correlate to purchases. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends, and today we are joined by special guest, May. How are you? Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, excited to have you. Uh, today we're going to be talking about, obviously, which is an influencer marketing platform that you built. Uh, we're going to be talking about your background as well. So let's get into it. How'd you get started in marketing? So I started right after college working at a startup and I started kind of on the side, a Twitter account about yoga. And I started getting like different studios and to like tweet me, like DM me, seeing if I wanted classes to review, <laughs> to review their yoga studios. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. I should... I should look more into this. And that was kind of like, you know, even before influencer was really a word and it was more working with bloggers. Um, But that was like my first job out of college. So yeah, that was really like the very infancy of of any sort of seed of an idea around building a, a company in the influencer space. And then so flash forward to today, where is obviously at? What do you all do for for our listeners who don't know? Yeah. So obviously is a full service influencer agency and marketing platform. We primarily work with large enterprise brands who want to identify the right influencers for them, who want to work at scale, and who also want a full service partner who's really going to handle all the work for them so they can really create a strong network of influencers to represent their brand. And so how, how does this work for, for a company? What would, um, what would they be looking to do? Like, is this trying to get into influencer for the first time or optimize their strategy or what is, what does it look like? Yeah, we work with brands who kind of, you know, run the gamut from, Hey, we're at Pepperidge Farms and we j- want to start working with influencers for the first time to, uh, Ulta Beauty, who, has been working with influencers for several years and we created a brand ambassador program where they're working with hundreds of influencers, um, a few from every state um, in the United States. And we have a a group where they chat and we're continually pushing out new campaigns. Uh, Whenever a new brand goes live in Ulta stores, um, we'll have influencers check out the product, review it, 
you know, test out new campaigns on TikTok, do really interesting things with swipe up links on Instagram. I'm just really, you know, from very beginner brands to the most advanced. So I, we've, we talked a bunch on this show about like the changing of what agencies are and what agencies mean and, and how it's going to, um, how it's going to just be totally different in the future based off of, you know, kind of what we've seen from the different trends. Your agency uh, and platform is something that I think is going to be the type of agencies of the future where you have this extremely complex niche that is something that's so hard for brands to figure out on their own. Um, because, you know, if your one company works with, you know, a handful of influencers, you know, maybe you, you know a bunch about that group, but you don't have best practices across, you know, 10, 50, you know, 100 brands like an agency like yours could have. So I'm curious, like, how have you found the companies react to like having someone to partner with who's an expert at influencer, which is something that a lot of people are trying to figure out and, and are struggling with? Um, yeah. So I think that we're, we're this really interesting hybrid between agency and tech company. And I really think that our model is, I mean, we're, we're unique and an outlier now, but I think in the future, it's really going to be the model going forward because, you know, our whole tech team is based in San Francisco. Our entire team, all of our account managers work within the platform that we built. So it's not about, you know, hey, how big is your agency? How many people do you have? It's like, okay, well, we have 28 people, but those 28 people are actually able to work with thousands of influencers, you know, in a given hour and work with hundreds of clients. So it's a really great fusion of, you know, tech that forms the backbone of what we do. And that means that we can really hire the most strategic client service people possible and the most strategic salespeople possible um, because we need fewer of them. And we don't have anyone who, who's doing like menial tasks. And when you work with influencers, and I'm sure a lot of listeners can relate um, who work frequently with influencers, you know, there's a lot of back and forth. Um, so, if, you know, for every 50 influencers we work with, it's typical to send over 5,000 emails back and forth with us and that group of influencers to make sure that we're getting the best content at the right time uh, that the brand loves. So for a brand to say, hey, we want something that's super optimized, that's tech-based, that is extremely strategic, uh, and then we want, you know, we want you to handle it for us so like, we can just work on the strategy ourselves. And you know, the brand doesn't have to hire 10 people on their side to handle that volume. Um, it, it becomes really invaluable. Yeah, I totally agree. I think there's just so much work that goes into making it great. Like, I think a lot of people might say, like, oh, well, we can just have, you know, this group of people on our team manage influencer. And a lot of time, and if they're not working with an external partner, that they'll just kind of do the do the 50% of it. But you're really going to see the best results when you have people thinking about it all day, every day. And I think that like cross pollination that you can say like, oh, well, you know, this is something that's really working for, you know, Sephora, but this is something that's working great for Google. Like to be able to have like those best practices, that's where, that's the power of, of, of the agency and the platform, right? It's like the ability to, you know, see more than just what's happening with that one brand. Cause you could say like, you know, it's just not enough data points potentially to just have it for one company. And there's all sorts of things that, you know, you can try out with, with other brands. And I think that that's, that is a really valuable asset for companies to have is like, Hey, can you just teach us how to do this the right way or teach us how to, you know, to dive in 100% rather than 
you know, dip your toe, which I think a lot of um, like that, this like experiment first mindset in marketing, you have a lot of people who want to like dip the toe, but you can't really like dip the toe with 50 influencers, right? Like you could say, hey, maybe we're going to do one influencer, but then you don't really have enough data points to really figure it out. That's like actually like almost verbatim what we say in what our conversations with clients. Um, we just have this robust data set of, okay, here are all the brands in your space who are doing influencer marketing. We can tell because all that content is public. Um, and then here are all the influencers who we've worked with and let's measure their performance. And then let's see like, okay, within your industry, here are, your, here are the benchmarks. Um, and here's where we think that you can be. And then we're able to try out new things very quickly. So, you know, we might have a, a heritage brand who skews, you know, 25 to 35. And they're like, hey, we're interested in TikTok. We've already run, you know, hundreds of campaigns on TikTok with many different types of brands. So we can say, okay, cool. Here's what we think we can expect. Like, here's the type of test that we can run. You know, I can get a 50 person TikTok campaign up, you know, in a matter of hours and get them the results for that. Whereas if they were going to mobilize internally, learn, educate themselves, get on a self-service platform, ship out that product, you know, you're looking at potentially an entire quarter that's lost to a small TikTok test that either could go extremely well or kind of fall flat. So that's a big thing when brands come to us and say like, oh, hey, you know, influencer marketing doesn't really work for us. I usually say, hey, nine times out of 10, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> like, let's just look at what you were doing. <laughs> and I think that's, that's hard for brands to hear, but, but then, then they get excited about, hey, okay, there's actually like a really strategic right way to do this. We need to optimize the influencers we're working with. We need to optimize our creative briefs. We need to make sure that we're, we have the right goals. And then, you know, once all those things are aligned, you can just have an awesome group of people who are advocating uh, for you and your brand. Yeah, we... Um... We, we deal with the same thing with podcasts a lot where it's like, yeah, we've tried podcasts and, um, and like, what, what'd you do? And they're like, oh, well, we bought, you know, like one ad on New York times daily. And, uh, you know, we have, we have six ads running over 12 months and you're like, that is not like exactly <laughs> the same thing or even in the same universe as creating a, a, a show or something like that. And I think that that's part of the problem with influencer, right? Is saying you're doing influencer marketing means like a million different things now. I mean, this is part of the, you know, marketing is is so complex now. Just within influencer marketing, it's its own universe. What do you think is like the state of influencer right now? I think we're at, we're at such an interesting point because um, there there's just, there's so many different things happening in the space. I think that, you know, post-COVID, post-quarantine and, and in 2020, people are online so much. They are just, you know, we're seeing the performance of our influencer campaigns just, you know, continue to like accelerate and increase and increase in value. And we're seeing the concept of an influencer has really kind of transitioned into the mainstream where, you know, you open the front page of the New York Times and you're like, there's going to be two or three articles that mention influencers or TikTok or Instagram. And it's just, it's so pervasive in a way that I think was kind of sneaky for most people, but it's now so huge. And then, and you see influencers really becoming bona fide celebrities, you know, and who are building their own, their own companies, um, their own media empires. Uh, so it's, it, it's getting really, really interesting. You know, I saw one survey, it said, you know, 70% of high school seniors said that they would love their job to be an influencer. You know, like influencer wasn't a term when I started the company, obviously. <laughs> like, it was just like, they're like, oh, cool. It's bloggers. Um, so I think it's so expansive and there's going to be so many more advancements because you just see brands getting 
so smart about who they work with. A few years ago, it would be, oh, well, let's work with, you know, Kim Kardashian or let's, you know, X giant macro influencer. And now we have brands who come to us being like, hey, we want to work with super targeted, very niche influencers. And we want to develop strong relationships with them. And then we want to find a lot more, you know, so the, the strategies have just gotten so much more advanced and they're just working extremely well. You know, we just worked with one brand and they, they saw uh, sales spike 300% year over year because um, we worked with 80 TikTokers, you know, over the course of a month. We're just seeing, I think like the reporting is getting better and, and advancements are just, are, are really coming like, you know, fast and furious. So it's a really, really exciting time to be in this industry. So you talked about, you know, those influencers that have a strong either community or, or, uh, or affinity or a strong audience, one that works, right? So how do you, how do you gauge the, the strength of an influencer? So you're really looking to see how large is their audience? What is the engagement rate of that audience? So, you know, how engaged are they? A lot of platforms kind of stop there. They'll be like, okay, you have 3% engagement. What we do is we actually then go and look to see, okay, what type of comments are people leaving? Um, how involved are they? Are the people who are commenting the same people who are following this person? When this person posts a link, how many of their followers are clicking through? How motivated is a person's audience to buy? And I think what makes influencer marketing challenging is some of those things aren't as correlated as you would think. So you could have an influencer who has 500,000 followers, but if they post about a launch of a new beauty brand, no, none, of their none of their followers are going to purchase. Whereas we have influencers we work with, you know, they post about a Chanel handbag. One is moving at, at least like from that one post and that, you know, that handbag retails for, you know, $6,000, $7,000. So that's, you know, huge for them. So it really comes down to uh, tracking and tracking the value of someone's audience. And I think a big thing that a lot of brands miss is who are we reaching in this person's audience? You know, they're all about the aesthetics of the influencers posts and what they're about, what do they stand for, but where do the followers live? How influential are their followers? Uh, you know, what's the gender breakdown of their followers? Um, what brands do their followers follow? So we look at all of those, you know, additional uh, data points to really make up, hey, this is a great influencer for you to work with. And then I think uh, secondarily, it's looking at, does this influencer really love your brand? Or do they just want to do a brand partnership? And that is a little bit harder. You know, it's easy for me to say like, okay, I have $3,000, go out to, you know, go out to a hundred influencers who have 25,000 followers. I mean, a lot of people are going to say yes, because that's a lot of money, but it's making sure that we're finding the right people who actually really love the brand rather than just like, you know, throw, throwing a crazy price out there at them. Yeah. I mean, I think that this is one of the things um, that we've seen in podcasting of the reason why certain ads perform really well and other ads don't and, and, and the longevity of those and frequency. Um, I, there was a study done for Tim Ferriss that it was like 90% of people actually prefer his ads because they learn about new products and services that Tim uses. And it's like, that's the sort of thing where you're like, if the audience is there for that person's like takes on life or, you know, or wants to be like that person or, um, or is learning from that person, that's like a hugely advantageous place to advertise if you're a CPG company or just any consumer company, because, you know, that's what they're there for, right? If you were to say, you know, maybe somebody else where 
they're not there to be that person or someone who's like, I don't know, maybe like a comedian or something like that. Uh, and you could tell me if this is actually true, but if like the, if it's a comedian, they're 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 just there to be entertained. They're like, I, I don't I don't really care what kind of shoes, you know, this guy wears. Uh, I just care that he's funny or, you know, I don't I don't care, you know, what pair of sunglasses this gal wears. I just, you know, she makes really funny videos. Yeah, I think that I mean, if it's a true recommendation and you really want to know more about that person and you really care about about any of their recommendations in a specific vertical. So like, you know, with Tim Ferriss, it's all about, you know, how do you become better? How do you hack your own performance? So to find out, hey, here are the products I use to achieve like my peak performance. Yeah, I'm going to like buy all of those things. <laughs> if I'm, if, you know, if I love this show and I want to learn more about him. Um, but yeah, if you had a comedian who you're like, okay, this guy like never looks that well dressed. I'm not that excited about what shoes he's wearing. Maybe it's like a company I'll now avoid. Um, I think that's that's important too. So it really has to be about you know a true recommendation from someone who you really trust, and and that that trust is is definitely built. And yeah, so many influencers have you know so much sway over over their followers. So it's just about it's about getting that right mix. And really like and so we can you know we test and learn a lot. So if we're working with a brand and we've already worked with an influencer, we generally know like, okay, here's how much traffic they're going to drive for a given category. But, you know, you could have a brand that just really, really resonates with a person's audience. So then from there, it's like, okay, cool. What's the deal with this audience? How do we find lookalike audiences? And who's the influencer that, that speaks to those people? Um, so it really is a, you know, a marketing channel and it's a marketing channel dealing with real people. So it definitely, you know, there's a lot of trial and error, but I think brands need to think, be thinking about it in that way. Like we need to be testing and learning. Whereas sometimes, you know, you have a, a disconnect between uh, a CMO who's like, okay, we need to do influencer marketing. Let's talk to someone who knows about influencers. So you go to, you know, the junior assistant social media manager who's 21, who's like, okay, cool. Well, here are some people that I follow that are really great. Yep. But it's like, are they reaching the, the target audience for this company? You know, if it's a mountain bike company, you can't just be talking to an influencer, you know, who's a personal trainer. You most likely want to talk to an influencer who's all about mountain biking, whose followers are just like there for the mountain bikes and for the recommendations. Um, and and it's, it's harder to do, quite frankly. So I think that's where, that's where the space gets really interesting because you have that, those top performing brands who are just unlocking such real value and driving such revenue from working with influencers. And then you have a lot of people who are just kind of like muddling through trying to figure it out. Yeah. I, you know, I did such a great point. I think, um, I think a lot of times that you have, you have this, you know, this piece where they might have an idea of one or two, you know, people that they think might have a strong correlation to their brand or that their audience is a fit. But the difference between one or two and 50 is where the rubber meets the road, right? It's like, yeah. For that team to go out and find 50 influencers, it needs they need to have a team and they probably need to have a full-time team and I'm sure you have that kind of like buyer build decision point in your sales process where it's like do you want to build out an influencer team uh that does all this stuff or do you want to hire us? You know, I'd be curious like where when we're talking about, you know, like those smaller, you know, I, I don't like the term micro influencers because it's silly, but I don't know if there, if there's a better term, but the smaller scale influencers versus like mega influencers, like, you know, I don't know, Miley Cyrus or somebody like that. Where do those things like converge? Because it almost seems to me that you have this sort of like, 
Super Bowl advertising versus, uh, you know, small town advertising sort of a thing, right? Where you're like, ah, I could advertise on the Super Bowl and it's going to cost me two and a half million dollars every 30 seconds uh, and go pay up for like a mega celebrity. Or I could, you know, pepper that money across 50 different smaller celebrities uh, or smaller influencers. How does that how does that work? Yeah. So I think like one strategy we really like to use, um, especially when a brand does want to work with one, like, you know, for whatever reason, either like, you know, internally, they're like, Hey, we, we do want like one big macro influencer to be involved. Like we want some of that wow factor. We want to invest in paying more for that person. We'll really recommend, okay, let's have that one person. Let's really create a pyramid around that person. So like, I think a good example of this would be like the Travis Scott McDonald's collaboration. Now, I just mentioned we, this on a different podcast. I mentioned this did? exact. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Okay. We I, can use a different, I can use a different example. If you want. No, no, no. I know. It's um, great because you okay. just, um, it makes but, me sound way smarter. Oh, okay. yeah. You know, uh, it, well, it, it's just, it's a great example. But so say, okay, McDonald's signed this contract with Travis Scott. Let's then find 400 micro influencers who love Travis Scott, who are like, gonna talk about it from like and just amplify the partnership with Travis Scott and be like so excited about that and like do a drive-through video going to McDonald's ordering his special combo and like doing a really cool video around that and go really big in that scale to amplify that to all of his fans so you really like push and amplify the the original message that you're going to do just with him it's just, it's a really, really cost-effective way to reach a lot more people, but also get a lot more engagement for that reach. Um, and then you're also like working with people who are just generally fans and customers of the brand already. And you're building really strong relationships with people who genuinely, you know, love your brand and want to talk about you and are psyched to talk about you again without you having to cut, you know, an additional $100,000 check. Like, I think a lot of people who don't work with influencers much are like, get real sticker shock when, when you actually start to map out just how exponentially more expensive it is to work with someone with 500,000 followers than it is with someone with 30,000 followers. But if, you know, if you're like, hey, let's work with 100 of the 30,000 followers instead of this one with 500,000, you're going to reach the same amount of people, but your engagement rate is going to be so much higher. And you're going to now have like really strong relationships with these smaller people you know, they're all, they're all, all trying to, to become bigger and grow and like want to do a really good job for your, uh, for your brand and just have a great, and make sure you have a great experience too, as, as the brand owner. Yeah. We gotta, we gotta double tap that part of that conversation <laughs> because, you know, to unpack it a little bit, I think first off the Travis, Travis Scott thing that I had mentioned on a previous episode, you, you had a better distillation. So you in that round, but, um, the thing that I'd said about it is basically like it's show don't tell, right? Is like if you were to say Travis Scott is the spokesman of McDonald's, that's cool. But to show that this is his favorite meal so much so that we're going to make a product around it is such a bigger example of how that shows his affinity for the uh, for the company in a way that's really cool. And I think that you're, and again, that's like step one, which is like, Hey, go spend a bunch of money on Travis Scott. And then step two through 50 are lining up all the resources around it. And it's interesting that you didn't say like, Hey, go corral a bunch of, you know, journalists or, or people to like, quote unquote, cover the event. 
because that's not where people are looking for something like this. They're looking for, you know, their micro influencers to have an opinion on the thing, right? Like, and then you're also giving them content to create, which is something that they're probably, you know, those influencers are always looking to do is like, Hey, yeah. you know, we'll pay you X amount of dollars for you to go do a drive through and then, you know, you know, get the meal or whatever. You're actually, you know, helping them a little bit to shape like what this looks like. And you're going to them with an idea, which is, it's just, that's a killer strategy. Yeah. And then, and then you have this network of influencers who, you know, you take the top 25% top performers who just did an awesome job with their content. And four weeks later, you send each of them a chicken McNugget pillow, you know, and then like now they're posting about that. Cause they're like, Oh, awesome. Like the brand thinks I'm super cool. Like they just gave me this chicken McNugget pillow, which objectively is a really cool thing to receive from a brand. <laughs> and, and you get totally. now like so much additional content. And then the followers are like, Oh, whoa, this person keeps posting about this brand. Like they must actually like really think this is cool. Um, and, and you get back in front of those same people. So it really is striking the balance between like repetition. So showing that someone really does like the brand and like is, you know, and is truly recommending something versus making sure you're reaching new audiences. And I think that's where a lot of like the most advanced brands and influencer marketing are really trying, are really testing now. It's like, how frequently am I working with the same group of brand ambassadors and how frequently am I, you know, recruiting new brand ambassadors and what is that ambassador network look like, you know, and how much am I spending per person and how are we measuring that? Um, and so I think that's really where, where things are, where things are headed. So you said that getting, you know, a, a person, well, let's say a million followers, a million followers versus let's say whatever, 20 people with 50,000 followers that the million follower person is going to be way more expensive than the 20 people with 50,000. And it might not even be anywhere close to as successful of a campaign. So my, my contention would probably be that like the lazy marketer goes and gets the biggest, you know, thing. This is why like all of the top podcasts, for example, have the most, you know, advertisers is why the Super Bowl is, you know, the most advertised thing. It's like wherever you can get the most eyeballs on something or or earballs or whatever, that's usually a good place to market. That that's not like wrong or lazy. I just mean like that's usually a good thing. However, having a million followers doesn't necessarily make you the biggest influencer, right? Like that that's yeah. part of the that's part of the tricky part is like that isn't necessarily like the Super Bowl for influencers. I, I maybe that's Kim Kardashian or something. I don't know. Or maybe Elon is probably up there. But that going the smaller approach is actually, you know, can be much more beneficial. And the thing that's also cool about influencers is that you can get exponential results, right? Like you can make an investment that that goes beyond what you thought was possible in a way that like a traditional ad spend would would not would not really be able to capture, you know, an exponential amount of value. So kind of talk through like, how do you measure those things? Um, and how do you prove that like the 20 person might be better than, than the one person? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, it's just, it's easier to make a phone call to one person's agent, you know, and like, and you know, you're paying more for the, you know, on a per follower basis than you are with micro influencers, but like, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely an easier route, but I would, I would use the analogy of like, are you just placing one really large bet or, or are you placing 20, 50 smaller bets? Um, and then like some of those are going to hit really big and some of them aren't. But if you're going all in on one bet, you know, you're leaving a, 
a, a lot up to chance and, and you might not know that much about a person's audience yet. So what we really like to do is we test. A main challenge that brands have when they're testing is that they can't achieve the scale to actually get a, a meaningful enough data set. So be like, oh, we worked with micro-influencers. It's like, yeah, you worked with five micro-influencers. Like we need to work with 50. We need to work with 100. We need to see like who the top performers are and why. Like why is their content really resonating with their, with their followers? So that's a big thing is like, okay, is the creative brief right? Do we get the content that we thought we were going to get? And um, were audiences really reacting positively to that branded content? So we're looking at engagement right there. So of a person's overall following, what percentage of their followers actually liked or commented on that, on that content? How many clicked through on a link? How many um, you know, then went to purchase? So just really kind of tracking that entire conversion funnel and then doing that across as many people as we have you know, in, the, in the influencer testing set. Uh, and then we go back and say, okay, who were the top performers? What was the deal with their content? You know, is their content just awesome? Is their following just super motivated to purchase? What can we do to, to repeat this and how do we scale it up? So, you know, a lot of those, those metrics are kind of the, the traditional metrics. They sort of get at affinity a little bit, but maybe, maybe, you know, not necessarily depending on the size of the product or the purchase of the product, you know, hey, a certain pair of shoes where it's like, hey, I, I'm not going to buy those right now, but like maybe in six months, uh, once if, if we ever get another stimulus check, uh, but uh, maybe I'll buy those shoes. What about timeliness? Because, you know, we, we, we always talk about in marketing, you know, 13 impression equals a sale. Um, well, if you're doing a campaign that has, you know, one video potentially, uh, or, you know, maybe two or three, that over time, you're just not going to see the results. And if this is something that, you know, you want to remind the, the people about over and over again, how do you look at like the longevity of, of campaigns? Because, you know, if somebody makes 50 videos a month for their audience, you know, you don't want 13 of them to be brand placements because uh, that might not, that might feel weird. Yeah. So I think it really depends on per channel. So if you're, if you're doing something on YouTube, like the long-term value and like the window for performance is, is much longer. And that's also why working with YouTube influencers is definitely more expensive because you know, of the, the production um, quality, the time spent, and then just the amount of time that this video lives on since, you know, YouTube is a search engine. So if they're talking about something that people care about, you know, you could see the value of that video, you know, two, three, five years out, um, depending on, you know, on how good it was. Um, so I think like YouTube is more of an outlier, but with Instagram and TikTok, things are very, happen very quickly. And so you're really going to see the majority of the value, like, I mean, 99% of it within, you know, the first three, four days. So it is really important that you're timing those things correctly. But also like there is an aspect of it that I think a lot of brand marketers kind of don't think about understandably because they're used to working with vendors. They're used to working with contractors. They're not used to working with an influencer who is a content creator who has their own calendar, you know, who has their own content schedule and who also really knows their own audience. So we'll have a brand be like, Hey, can you post this on Thursday at 2 PM? And the influencer's like, actually like my content calendar is really packed. I just had, you know, two other brand placements earlier in the week. I'd really like to do it next week. And, you know, Tuesday, my engagement rates is, is highest on like this sort of lifestyle recommendation content. I want to do it then. Um, so it's just making sure that, you know, we're, we're taking that into account uh, because 
it is going to perform better because the influencer knows, <laughs> knows that. Um, and so that's really important. I think another thing is on the tracking front, and I think there's just so much further the industry is going to go with tracking and, and really like candidly like needs to move further. But when we just see crazy indirect lift on a lot of the work that we do that we're not really able to take credit for. So for instance, I have, you know, two brands currently who they're not doing any other marketing other than working with influencers. And they're seeing just like crazy lift in revenue on the specific products that we're promoting. So that's always something that if a brand is on the smaller side, you know, if you're, if you're a giant, you know, if you're Campbell's soup, you can't do that. <laughs> if you're Ulta, you can't do that. But um, I think like we can do some really like controlled tests to just show like, okay, this was us, you know, this 60% lift in like, you know, product one that we sent to a hundred influencers that's from us because you guys aren't doing anything else. And there's literally nothing else to attribute this to. I mean, I totally believe it. I mean, I think, you know, it's funny, like, the pandemic has shaped a lot of things like in buying behavior and and different things like that. I mean, I think back in the day, back in the day, a year ago, uh, Mm -hmm. you could walk to a store and talk to a sales associate and like ask them like, hey, what do you think of this, you know, thing? And they're like, nah, I actually don't get that TV because, you know, this one's actually better, right? But now it's like your whole yep. journey is online. You're maybe talking to family and friends, but by and large, you're, you know, you're reading reviews, you're doing stuff like that. So if you're talking about like top of a funnel, top of funnel awareness, like having the person who's, you know, Instagram videos you watch every single day recommend products to you. And then you're like, okay, then I'll go look at some reviews and I'll do that sort of stuff. And then I'll, you know, make the buying decision. It makes sense. I just... I wonder, I think that you have like intent-based marketing with Google and stuff like that. I do wonder where influencer starts to eat away at other types of like static advertising or, or video advertising as just a better movement of of money, as a better ROI spend. But I think to your point, it's like you need someone to show companies like, hey, we've we've done as good of a split test as we could for this product between like traditional, uh, you know, run a site Mm -hmm. ads and influencer with the same amount of spend with the same product An influencer just works better. And it makes sense. It's like people telling you the stuff that they use is a way it's conceptually, of course, that would be the case. But I think the problem for so long is, but how do you do that at scale? How easy is it to run for your marketing department? If you have a smaller marketing team, like good luck, right? Trying to figure out how to coordinate all this stuff, the level of complexity for the campaigns you talked about. Have they mentioned, those companies mentioned like where that spend is shifting from? Like where are they going to pull budget from? Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's a really, it's been like a really fascinating um, part of the the overall like marketing conversation. I think like one thing I do want to call out that you just mentioned about like having really small, having a small team now have like a ton of work working with influencers on their hands is really a a key point that I learned very early on in starting the company. Um, I actually had a a client, we were in their office and we're like, wow, are you guys moving? Like what's, were you moving offices? There's so many boxes everywhere. And they're like, no, we've been packing up these boxes to send to influencers. It's like all hours of every night. It's just, it's taking us so much time. And I was like, oh, hey, you know, if, if my team did that for you, 
would you want to work with, would you work with more influencers? Like, is this a barrier for you working with more influencers? And this girl like almost started crying <laughs> and she was like, yes, we would definitely do that. Um, so we actually open warehouses currently where brands just ship us their product. And then we like make sure the packaging looks awesome, make sure the influencer gets everything that they need. But I think it's like a really interesting example of like just a clear pain point that has come up that people didn't even think about like, Oh, I need to achieve scale. But a lot of marketing teams don't know how to like talk to the warehouse, their own warehouse um, of, of like their e-commerce e site because things are so siloed. So it's all about solving those, those issues for them immediately because it is so much work to actually achieve a scale where you can see true ROI and see real results. Um, and I think that's just like you know, a major learning curve of, of the industry overall. And then in terms of budgets, I think one interesting thing that happened um, with quarantine and with the shutdown was actually a lot of brands we work with all of a sudden we're like, our production team can't create any content. Can our influencers do it? So we actually signed like at least 12, like immediate, you know, statements of work on just creating content for websites, for influencers. I mean, for the brand social media channels, live streams, Instagram takeovers with influencers so that they could just handle all of the content for these brands. Um, so they essentially wouldn't go dark on social or on their own site and they could keep refreshing their content. And I think that is actually a, a big trend we're going to see more of. I think there's a little pushback currently because, you know, if you're on the production side um, and the creative side at a brand, you want to keep your job, obviously. Uh, but it's just, it's really, really cost efficient. And you're not only getting like the reach and the relationship of working with this influencer um, who now is going to, you know, love and advocate for your brand. You're also getting all of that content and additional content they'll create for you that can populate all of your web properties. I mean, we actually have brands who've used that content on billboards, in commercials. So I think there's just a whole additional avenue that was relatively untapped um, just around the content that influencers are creating for on behalf of brands as opposed to, you know, brands you know, or having a significant creative budget internally. Yeah, I mean, I th but I think this, this speaks to like a, a broader trend where if you're, your team internally, your creative team, if part of their job is, is creative uh, and maybe they're not like the data folks, which you got to have those as well, or the analytical folks, but managing a network of creatives is like, you know, part of that job is like helping shape multiple people's, you know, creative endeavors, not just creating it yourself. And like, you don't scale, but your, you know, your strategy or your guidance or making sure that you have clear guidance does scale. Um, and mm -hmm. I think part of the problem that I've seen too is like brands over engineer and they overnote the people that they're working with, especially when it comes to influencers. And you're like, this person built their audience the way that, you know, they've done it. And, uh, you know, you've seen certain ad reads or, or, or sponsored things where, you know, people maybe go off the rails or, or say something inappropriate or do things like that. But by and large, um, if you set good rails to stay on without like noting them to death and that person like loves your brand and, and you know, you know, uses your products and is excited about it, you'll be in good hands and you don't need to like necessarily just overwork the, the problem. Yeah. I mean, we've seen some creative briefs that brands been like, Hey, we really want to get this in front of influencers. And I'm like, 
this is a creative brief that you would give, you know, a production company that's creating your next commercial. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like, it's like have the bottle of perfume, like at a 45 degree angle in the foreground and like a velvet background. I'm like what? Like none of these influencers even own velvet. Like what, what are we talking about? Um, like their audience is going to be like, what is this an ad? Like this looks nothing like the other content that I'm used to seeing from this person. So we're like, yeah, why don't we like let the influencer do their thing and you choose the people who you like the thing they're doing and we'll see if, you know, if it's, if it works well for you guys. And let them talk about it in an organic way that's not scripted by you, right? right? Like that's the other thing is like, just let them talk about it, you know, in a way that's organic. Cause if they're, if they're running your ad reads, like that's the whole funny thing, right? Is like your brand message is all over your products. It's all over your website. It's all over, you know, the copy of your ads and all that stuff. When someone else is talking about it, they're going to talk about it however they want. And maybe in fact, you should, you know, change your positioning a little bit if, uh, if this is how people talk about it, but how, you know, how influencers talk about products they like is like, they're telling a friend, it's not like they're reading an ad. And those two things are, you know, can make the experience a little clunky for the, uh, for the end listener. Yeah. It's been really interesting to see how the brands that really understand that and are like, just they're like, oh, we need this feedback. This is part of our brand. Like the way that people interact and experience our brand and how they translate that back to us is actually a key part of who we are and what we do and part of our identity. Like those brands are killing it. You know, those are like the glossiers and the revolves of the world who are just like, no, this is part of, part of our company is the fact that we work with awesome creators and we let them like, you know, reinterpret what we do. And then you have brands who really struggle with it but the interesting thing is that it's only going to get it's only it's only going to get worse if you're if you're a brand that has a hard time with it. You just look at you know Gen Z and like what people um, what younger consumers are doing, what people are doing on TikTok. You can give someone a creative brief, but they're just going to do what they want, and you're either going to you know become hugely successful or it's going to fall flat. It's it's entering a really interesting space, and I think like you know brands hate when I give that recommendation, but I'm like if you're struggling with this on Instagram in the next five, 10 years, this is going to get a lot, lot harder for you <laughs> because people are just going to, you know, if they identify with your brand and they align with you and they think that you have the same values and you're, they really like your brand, like the younger consumer is just going to take that and do what they want with it. And so that can be a huge value add for your brand. Or if you're afraid and you like really run away from it, it, it can become a real liability. Okay. Before we get into our lightning round, you got one more, uh, one more good, good or, uh, or favorite campaign. Uh, or maybe a not so favorite campaign um, or one that didn't work so well uh, that you've seen, you can anonymize to protect the innocent. Uh, we are doing a really cool campaign right now with a beauty brand. It's a big push on TikTok, big push on Instagram, and we're just seeing like such awesome results. And we're getting all of that feedback from the influencers that will then help shape the next products in the line. Um, and I think for me, that's so cool. It's just so, it's so awesome to see how engaged and excited these influencers are to participate because they're so part of the process and they're just posting so much more content than they would, you know, if there wasn't that level of creativity involved. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. And I really think that's, you know, where, where the industry is going, just really incorporating this feedback and, and having influencers just be closer and closer to the core of these brands. Okay. Let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. You know, you know the deal, May. This is part and partial to your world. Salesforce is the best. They've been with us since the very first episode of this show. 
every single episode there along with us for the ride. You can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. Lightning round questions, May. Are you ready? Yes. Do you have a favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently? I really like the, this is not really marketing related, um, but it's more for like entrepreneurs. Uh, I really like the Whoop podcast. Um, I have like the Whoop strap. It measures your, like your heart rate and make sure you get enough sleep. And they talk to a lot of people just about optimizing performance and have some really cool um, entrepreneurs and athletes on there. So I'd recommend that as a good, like cross-functional podcast. Once this is all over, all the the COVID stuff, some some day and year to come, uh, what's the first thing that you're going to do? Like maybe restaurant or a trip or, or something like that? I know I've saved up so many uh, frequent flyer points. I kind of want to go big. I think um, I, I want to go back to South Africa and um, I go to Cape Town, Durban, uh, Joburg. I'm going to bring my husband. What piece of advice would you give to a first time CEO? I think learn what you're really good at and what you're really not good at as quickly as possible. Surely, May, you're not good at, wait, you're not not good at anything. There's, there's no flaws in your game. Come on. <laughs> I'm not flaws. I'm just way better at some things than others. And then it's like, okay, of those things, you know, which do you need to get better at and which can you have other people handle? And I think learning that as quickly as possible and having that level of self-awareness is just so important. And it's so important to do that as soon as you can. If you weren't building, obviously, what do you think you'd be doing? I would have another idea and I would, I would definitely be running a, another company. Um, I just, I love the, the process of, of building a company, building a team um, and just understanding, okay, like what is the best version of this brand and this product that we can give to our, um, our customers? And I'm just constantly, you know, hearing so many cool ideas and different things that influencers are working on and brands are working on that just really excites me. So I think it would definitely be an entrepreneur, um, but maybe in something a little random. <laughs> What's next for obviously? Uh, I mean, the influencer space is, is exploding. We're just gonna we're gonna keep riding this wave, um, and there's just you know so much more growth, so many more influencers to work with, so many more brands to just build super strategic uh, campaigns with, and yeah, so excited. Awesome! Thanks again for joining. We really appreciate it. Any final thoughts? Anything to plug? Uh, yeah, I mean, if, if you're interested in learning more about Obviously, you can check us out at obvious.ly. Um, my email is may at obviously, um, M-A-E at obvious.ly. Uh, and yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Awesome. Great chatting with you. Take care. Likewise. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels.
But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster, and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.